Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are talking all about the Resistance episode from Beneath. This episode aired on November 10th. It was directed by Kevin Burke and Chris Doc Wyatt, and the story consultant was Stephen Melching, who was also story consultant last week's episode, too. So this was a really fun episode, and I'm excited to discuss it today. Me too. Me too. I actually really liked it, and I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. When I read the description, I was like, oh, this seems like another filler episode. I hate the word filler, but you know what I mean. Except I use it a lot, so I should probably not use it. Yeah, I use it more than anyone. (laughs) Yeah, I still feel like it, it does the job in describing how an episode is kind of set up, though, even though I don't necessarily agree that, like, that means bad. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And uh, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, I was excited for this episode. Yeah, I, I liked the description because I was excited to see Flix and Orca back on the screen and having a little bit more airtime. And they certainly got a lot more airtime this episode. For so sure. For I sure. was ready for it. Let's dive into talking about it. So if it's your first time listening to our Resistance Recap, this is how it is set up. In part one, we discuss our highs and lows of the episode. Part two, we're going to be talking all about the story. And in part three, we talk about the characters. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Okay, welcome to part one where we're talking all about our highs and lows. And I don't remember who goes first this week, so I will let you go first, Charlotte. Okay. My favorite part of this whole episode is something that you just alluded to, which is I just really like seeing Flix and Orca again. Anytime they're on screen, I think they're really funny and I really like their character designs and it's something that I wasn't sure of the first time I saw it, but I've got, I've grown used to it. I just, I, I think they're great. I loved learning that Flix was a formerly aspiring cantina singer, <laughs> which is just like the best detail ever. Just like learning where Flix came from was really intriguing. Yeah, I was really excited about this episode to see the two of them out of the shop. That's always fun. <laughs> yeah see them outside of their element a little bit and we got a little bit it was like sometime last season when they went on the trip and put Kaz in charge of the shop and Flix just kept complaining about having to see his mother or something like that and that was really fun this episode to kind of see his cousins I really like the cold open for this episode I like them coming into the planet I liked Flix complaining and he was like of all the fuel stations (laughs) (laughs) the the one that we happen to be next to is the one that my family owns and I just I thought it was really fun and I loved to um when they are coming in for their landing and Orca is on top of CB and you just see him spinning in the background (laughs) after they've landed (laughs) I thought that was really fun and I enjoyed it a lot also a little bit of foreshadowing for him having to piggyback on Tora (laughs) later on in the episode but that was definitely my first high too I loved their relationship getting some airtime getting to learn more about Flix's background and everything so it was it was really enjoyable for me I thought it was really fun too Mm -hmm, definitely so my second high was I loved the addition of dragons and I just really kind of liked the Jurassic Park vibe which surprised me because in the past I've been like longtime listeners know I'm kind of iffy about any time that the animated shows really lean super heavily on like Spielberg <laughs> adaptations and like make it super, super explicit that it's basically the same thing. So I don't know. I liked it. I thought it fit it. 
in I, the one that I'm really referencing here that I just I genuinely don't like is in Rebels when there's a um, with the clones when they rediscover the clones. Um, it's like a blatant Jaws ripoff, and I don't know. I like to hear maybe because I like Jurassic Park more. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I just I don't know I thought it was good and I like the anytime and we'll talk about this later because I really want to talk about it um, anytime dragons are brought up in Star Wars it just really links it to me to the fantasy elements and it's just really intriguing and I really liked it and I liked the mysteriousness of it and I really liked the color palette that was brought in with this episode because of those elements Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was visually very different. And uh, because we've been with the Colossus in space, we've had a lot of the like space vibe. So it was really nice to get back onto a planet and one that we haven't been to before and one that looks very different than what we've seen really in Resistance so far, especially because last season we were pretty much exclusively on Castellon, which is a very blue planet. So it was really nice. That was actually my second high was kind of the world building of Flix's homeworld. I felt like they packed a lot into this episode about his homeworld and also Flix's upbringing, his relationship with his family and with Orca. I felt like they did a lot in this episode. And I really liked learning more about his home planet, um, that, you know, his species are the only one that is left there. And, you know, they're talking about the legends of past generations of the dragons that live underneath. And, you know, if you drill down too deep, you're going to disrupt their their habitats and things like that. I just really thought that they did a good job incorporating so much information into this episode and none of it felt like unnecessary exposition. Totally. I completely agree. It was a really tight episode to me and I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Okay. So I don't really have a low Honestly, I miss the first order, but I guess that's just the nature of this episode. I miss like that sort of dynamic, but I think that we're heading towards like that sort of dynamic coming up again. And this was just a stepping stone to get back to that dichotomy. Yeah, I'm sure that now that they have fuel and they're going to be going somewhere, they'll probably run into the first order again. But yes, I really miss Tam. It's been a while since we've seen her. So I hope that next week's episode, we hear something, see her. I don't know. Um, I don't really have any low for this episode either. I was fully expecting to see a tiny baby dragon (laughs) emerge (laughs) from one of the caves. And we didn't. And I was like, where's my baby dragon? Um, I really liked the design of the dragons. I when the first one popped out, I was like, Bendu. (laughs) He kind of looks like Bendu (laughs) um, with his like rocky uh, design. So I really thought that the dragons were very interesting. They were a lot more lizard than I thought I was expecting. And they have these like loops on their heads, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they also had them like on the outside of their body too, like down pat by their legs and stuff. I don't know. I just thought it was a really unique design. So I kind of wanted to see a baby one. (laughs) I get that. The way they were animated was also really cool. Like when they slithered back into the hole, Mm -hmm, I was like, wow, that looked really fluid and good. Yeah. Yeah. And they could, they, they slithered, but they also kind of like could go through the air. It was kind of like never ending story. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I feel like that was probably at least a piece of the inspiration behind these designs. But yeah, I really enjoyed them. I liked them a lot. I liked how they were scary. But we'll talk about that later, like the the use of the creature in this episode. But I really liked how they kind of stayed scary. But I still would have liked to have seen a baby one. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> Where's my baby? <laughs> Let's talk about the story. 
Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. Okay, so welcome to part two, where we discuss the story, and we're going to lead and open with a question. What's the state of the Colossus, Caitlin? Um, they're still searching for more fuel. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I, like we're in a stagnant place I right know, now. I know. <laughs> Their resistance is really putting a damper on our part two. <laughs> um, I mean, at this point, I'm kind of like, okay, do we finally have enough fuel, enough supplies to do something else <laughs> because we're now a, a fourth, a third or a fourth roughly through the season and we've basically just been searching for fuel and supplies the whole time. And I'm kind of honestly a little done with that storyline. Yep. I think that in the beginning we were like, yes, they need fuel. They need to get all these resources. It's really great that we're seeing this like slow collection of how a like a system operates kind of on the fly. But I'm kind of getting a little done with it. And I feel like this is the this is the end. Also, it's a little convenient that Flix's family like owns the fuel station. <laughs> and I, I feel like it's going to come up again. Um, what do you think that's going to come up again? Like, do you think that, like, when they're out of fuel, they'll be like, oh, we'll just go back to that fuel station? No, because I think that the way that they've jumped through hyperspace, because Flix kind of says it at the beginning when he was like, you know, of all the outer reaches, we end up at the only outer reach fueling station that my family owns. Um, So I would be surprised if they end up back there or maybe they'll contact them again. I don't know. But again, this brings me to a lot of my other questions. of Like, (laughs) why is the Colossus so important? Like, clearly there are other fueling stations out there. Right. But it doesn't. Like the and I we didn't write down the name of the planet, um, but Flix's homeworld doesn't really feel it's not like the Colossus, but they're like actively getting fuel. So was that something that was going on on Castellon as well, or was it just a pit stop? Like I'm a little confused to be quite honest. Yeah, <clears throat> I feel like I can suspend my disbelief a little bit where it's like that doesn't really trip me up. That like. There's planets out there that are drilling for oil and fuel and all these things. I think it makes sense. There's this like kind of underlying environmentalism um, message, like that sort was of not super underlying in this episode. Oh yeah, for sure. It was like very to the surface. <laughs> when they were like, "You're going too deep. You're drilling too deep." I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Even when they were approaching the planet and like the the environment was changing and everything. I was like, oh, this is like a not so subtle climate change metaphor about like the machine versus nature mm-hmm. aspect yeah. of it all. And I, I appreciated that. I think that that's it's always an interesting thing to explore. Like machine versus nature is like one of the oldest explorations of the like theme explorations and literature and media and all these things. So I wasn't surprised to see that because it just like it's an easy leap for me to make. But and I, I I don't know. I thought it was it was a good addition. I thought it was too. It's definitely heavy handed. I will say this is probably my low though is that this is now our third like creatures episode. So it's kind of like yes. okay, are we done searching for fuel and are we done with creatures? <laughs> um, <laughs> because this is like third in a row actually. So I'm kind of over the nature versus. Uh, machine versus man and, and environment and things things like that this one was definitely my favorite out of the bunch but there's been a bunch <laughs> right um so i hope that we're kind of dropping this for a while like disturbing the giant creature in his habitat and that kind of thing so i'm kind yeah. of i'm uh, i'm getting a little bored with it <laughs> 
Yeah, because it, it just feels a little predictable at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. I will say I liked how in this episode, like I kind of mentioned before, that there wasn't – it didn't become like super sympathetic toward the creature. I, I kind of liked that change because I remember when we had issues with the hunt on Selzor 3 and how that creature was treated there. It was kind of like, well, you know, none of these people have ever been – like we know that they all eat meat. Like of course they need food. Was the creature the best way to do that to tell that story? Um, and I think a lot of times, like with the Bebo episode, those kinds of storylines can end very predictably, where like suddenly everyone like sees the beauty in the creature, and you know it's got its baby and things like that. But I liked how in this episode it was kind of like, no, the, these dragons are still very scary, and a lot of us not going not drilling down deeper anymore is also a piece of self-preservation. Um, it's not like these majestic creatures. Um, I kind right. of I kind of liked how that was a little bit different. And like I said earlier, that the creature stayed scary. Um, and even though I did want the baby dragon, I liked that we didn't get this big reveal of the mom dragon protecting the baby dragon because that would have felt very repetitive um, with other stories we've seen and even kind of with the Bebo episode too. So I'm glad I, I liked how this creature was handled the best but I hope that we don't see any more creatures. Yeah, I wonder if that's just like the collective subconscious of watching Jurassic Park and knowing that, yes, the dinosaurs are scary. And it was the whole theme of Jurassic Park. It has many themes, but in terms of like disturbing nature and like the passage of time. And I think that we have, when we watch this episode of Resistance, we understand that these dragons, like this is their domain and they are entrenching, like we are entrenching upon that Mm -hmm. and they're scary. And I feel like that's the same thing that's kind of happening in Jurassic Park to some degree, even though that man created those creatures. And I just think that like this episode took a lot of the themes and cues from Jurassic Park that make it a little bit more palatable for the general audience to be like, yes, these are scary, but I don't feel bad for them. I think that like in some degree you do feel bad for the creatures in Jurassic Park, like the dinosaurs, I think you feel bad for like when they're hurt and and things like that. And I think that we would have felt that way too about this if we saw like the dragon hurt and crying or something. Yeah, definitely. But there's there's still a level of separation and a degree of scariness that remains. Mm-hmm. And I just think that like back to, I keep talking about Jurassic Park and I'm sorry, but I think that it's even down to the the sound that the dragons make. I honestly think that that is fully ripped from their library of um, <laughs> dinosaur sounds. It, it, it was almost similar to the Velociraptor mixed with the T-Rex. It was really interesting. Um, I picked up on it immediately. And even the way that the dragon surrounded the group, it was really similar to how the Velociraptors come from like the front and the side and everything. And it was just like, I don't know. I liked it as a fan. And um, it kept me on my toes because <laughs> I guess like with Jurassic Park, you watch that movie and it's a pretty violent movie that, you know, people die and everything that it, it did keep me on my toes where I was like, oh, my God, like what's going to happen? I don't know. You know, Charlotte breaking out her Jurassic Park knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Suddenly from nowhere, a Jurassic Park fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have not seen Jurassic Park that many times, so I can't really speak to the similarities all that much. But I think you brought up a good point, like with the the separation and how there is this kind of weird mix of sympathy and fear for the dinosaurs at the same mm-hmm. time. 
And mm-hmm. Jurassic Park does do that really well. And I thought that this episode did too. One of the things which is like a tiny thing about this episode is that, again, Tora and Kaz are sent on a mission. Another example of how they're kind of being placed in charge of these really important missions and things like that from the Colossus. Again, my question of what exactly is Doza doing <laughs> has come up this week as well. And I thought it was funny. I, I thought it was interesting how like Kaz, how Tora was the one who was piloting, how they weren't doing that together. Um, I thought that was that was that seems like a big ship. Like I feel like it is more than one pilot. And I, I would have liked to have seen them argue about who was gonna fly it. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny. Yeah, it would have been funny. But there was an interesting comment about that came from um Tora that was like, Oh, let's not tell Yeager about this. And definitely not my dad, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And I thought that was an interesting comment because they're clearly still under their nose. And it's like both of them have their kind of father fatherly figures, like obviously Tora and her dad. And then um, Kaz and Yeager are both the, the mentor figures here. And I think it's interesting that here they go kind of like pulling things off with, I don't know, keeping things hidden mm-hmm. underneath these father figures. Yeah, it's it's it was very fun. Definitely. I liked it a lot. Another thing that I really, I don't know, my Joseph Campbell-esque brain kind of immediately fires <laughs> whenever I hear the term dragon in Star Wars. And it makes me think a lot of the Revenge of the Sith novelization, where the dragon in in that book is personified as the dark side and the dark side within or your shadow within. And um, Joseph Campbell says that like slaying the dragon is part of your mythological mythological journey, but often dragons like are a manifestation of the ego. And I thought that that was super clear in this episode with the uh, Flix's family not believing in the dragons and thinking that they didn't exist. And that was, I think, their family being kind of blinded by their own ego, drilling too deep and not recognizing that they were... Uh, really coming up close to uh, their dark side, honestly. Mm-hmm. And finally, when they see it with their own eyes, they're aware that they're both drilling too deep and that the dragons are are real, which I think was, it was really, to me, heavy-handed of this manifestation of them doing bad things and realizing that they are, and then confronting the dragon, slaying the dragon in their own way and deciding that they were going to move on from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dragon symbolism, I think, is always an interesting one. And like you brought up earlier, too, with it just automatically brings you into this fantasy uh, like realm in your head. I don't think like dragons aren't necessarily something that I think you would automatically put into the Star Wars world, but they fit so well because of all the reasons you mentioned before, like the symbolism of them, Joseph Campbell and the role inside the hero's journey, too. Um, just to bring up like another example, what it reminds me a lot of is in the Narnia books, um, the cousin in which one is it? Voyage of the Dawn Treader. He turns into a dragon because he is like he has his own ego problems. And he it's only once he realizes his compassion and to be there for other people that he returns back to his true form as a boy. Right. But he's like locked inside the scales of the dragon. So the dragon is really interesting symbolism. And I, I really liked how it was used in this in this episode, like you were saying, with, like with Flix's family members being too greedy and um, not realizing their own ego about those things and not listening to the stories of the past in order to prepare for the future. I feel like there are some people listening to this and, and they might be like, oh, you're really looking too deep into it. But I think the very 
nature of using the word dragon within Star Wars should alert us to these sort of similarities and these mythological implications, just because they could have called the creature whatever it was called in Star Warsian language, right? <laughs> but instead, it's a dragon, and having to slay that dragon is part of a character journey, is part of, like, honestly, a collective journey throughout all these characters to uh, confront this fear in order to move on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was really interesting. And I was thrilled to see it. The moment I heard the word dragon, I was like, oh, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because it does sound almost out of place, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. Your ears should perk up when you hear it. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, are we ready to move on to part three? Yes, let's. Okay, welcome to part three, where we're talking all about characters. And I thought this episode was really interesting because there wasn't a whole lot of character development when it came to our leads like Kaz and Tora. And it reminded me a lot of Hunt on Selzor 3. And a lot of our critiques of that episode were about like one of the things we said were like there was no development really on any front. And this episode was kind of the same in that regard, but this episode landed so much better. And I don't like I don't think that Kaz and Tora not learning a quote unquote lesson was a detriment in this episode, whereas that definitely stood out a lot more uh, in the episode Hunt on Cells or 3. So what kind of are some of the different, like, why did this episode land so much better than Hunt on Cells or 3 when, you know, they're in that episode, it was like, they're both creature episodes, they're both looking for supplies, and we had no character development for our lead, not like, we really didn't really have any character development for our leads. But this one is far superior, I think, in both of our opinions. I just wonder, as from an audience standpoint, I was craving more Flix and Orca, and that finally delivered. I now know that Flix wanted to be a cantina singer, that he um, thought he was too good for the fueling station, that his cousin thinks that he's kind of like an outcast, that he he himself kind of thinks he's an outcast, that, uh, I don't know, I loved the creatures. Like, I feel like there was you were right in the beginning of this episode when you said that there was so much more world building, but I did actually learn so much about Flix and his family mm-hmm. um, and things I didn't know before, including the fact that, like, I don't know, and even a further exploration of Flix and Orca's relationship. Like, I just feel like it it really did develop these side characters so much that, that this is exa- that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted this so bad. And it, by taking these characters out of their usual setting, the junk shop, we were able to experience them and how they work and how they're also helping um, the resistance, which I, I think is an interesting... Are or they like, helping I the guess resistance the or the Colossus? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the main question of the show. Uh, regardless, they're helping Kaz and Tora, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I, I think that in the beginning, they were kind of like... In the beginning of the this, this series, they were kind of... Uh, I didn't trust them fully, right? Because you didn't really know anything about them, their shady shop, all this, all these kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that they're, I don't know, everything about this episode to me was stronger in terms of characters, even if it wasn't our main characters. I still was made to feel something about our side characters mm-hmm. and made me want them even more, like it, it, to be included in certain character developments and storylines. And I just think that it, it did land so much better for me. 
Yeah, it really did. And I think that was kind of the big thing is that even though our side character or our lead characters were there, it was about our side characters. And Hundun Seltzer 3 could have done that. And I think we discussed that in the episode about having Sonara take more of a central role in that episode with the correspondence or communication between the pirates and Doza and Kaz and Tora. But we didn't get any of that. They were kind of like all of the pirates were really kind of pushed to the side in that episode where they where we could have had kind of a similar set up to this episode where we learned more about the pirates just like we learned more about Flix and Orca because I, I think the pirates are a really interesting group of characters. Um, I think it would have been interesting to learn more about them or even just like Captain Kragen or again like Sonara. But this episode really pushed Flix and Orca characters that we care about to the center and they got to have meaningful development and meaningful moments even if it wasn't, you know, directly impacting like Kaz and Tora. Um, and again, the world building was really great. Like we didn't learn anything about where that other creature in Hunt on Cells are three. Like what do we know about no. that planet? Nothing. No, we know nothing <laughs> about that planet. Yeah. And the messaging of that episode doesn't really fall in line with what we have seen from Star Wars before and within the same show even. Um, whereas this episode, like we mentioned before, clearly had a very solid message, one that was I think some people might argue is a little too heavy handed, but it's there. And I think that the way that it was handled was really well. I even thought it was funny at the end when um, one, I love, I loved how they talk about their species. And one of the cousins in the beginning was like, all of you have to help. We're not exiting anyone here. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Was so I was like exiting genius. <laughs> <laughs> and how they're all named like flicks, flags, flags. flags. Yeah. <laughs> Floors, <laughs> and then they're like part of the flock. They're I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> he's not part of our flock." Yeah, I just I thought it was so funny. Um, and honestly, it kind of like it kind of makes me think of like, um, you know, like pigeons and how they kind of survive anywhere. <laughs> I thought it was really fascinating how like their species is the only one that's left here, and now it's their species and these monsters that they know, these dragons that they know without a doubt are there. But I loved how at the end the cousin, um, I can't think of his name, it's like Flex. It was Flex. Um, mm-hmm. How he like very very bombastic when he gets off the off the transport <laughs> I know. and he's like, so- "We shall not be drilling any deeper anymore." <laughs> and it's very like that message is in there so heavy handed, but the way that Flex delivers it, it's obvious that he's putting on a show and he's kind of spoon feeding the message to the rest of their family in order to make himself look good. But then it also delivers that you know that environmental message to the rest of us too. But it works because of how Flex is character was set up to be kind of i'm in charge now this is my flock this is my like domain (laughs) um it worked really well for his character and i i really enjoyed the world building of it and yeah and i just like the like getting flicks and orca time to like even though they kind of spent most of this episode apart it was great to see orca kind of focusing on flicks and being supportive of him and his you know like his family will your family will love you like you're still family and flicks is like "Mm -mm -mm," like you don't know them and then at the end seeing flicks or seeing orca like yell at his family members being like and you're gonna give us that fuel because flicks is family and that's what family does (laughs) so good it was it was all just really good there were so many like funny moments in this episode because of all the dynamics with the family members then like having Kaz and Tora really be like our 
point of view in this episode of watching all of it kind of unfold. I loved when they were down in the cavern and Flicks and Flex are on one side and Kaz is like, what are we going to do? And all that Flicks and Flex care about is if Kaz actually solved the dragon. And Flicks is like, tell him you saw it. Tell him you saw it. Like, I have to be right. (laughs) Kaz is like, we have bigger problems right now. (laughs) Yeah. thought it was all really good. (laughs) I have to say I was super cynical when they announced when uh, I forget who said it in an interview that when they announced that Flix and Orca were an openly gay couple on Star Wars Resistance. I believed that because I that's what I thought when I saw them in season one. Yeah. But I didn't really think that they were going to push it at all. Yeah. Same. And I was, I feel like I was just like super cynical about it. I was like, yeah, you can say that in an interview, but it's like the Dumbledore thing where it's like, yeah, you mm-hmm. can say it after the fact, but until we see evidence of it in the show, I don't believe it. It doesn't count. Yeah, it, do- it just doesn't count if you, it, it really doesn't as representation. Mm-hmm. And I think that they did a really good job in this episode of doing that. And I, I, I was so pleased when you know they're cl- when orca's climbing up the ladder and he's like oh i'm just kidding I, I love the guy i was like yes thank you yeah and then even his family they're like oh i can see why flix likes orca so much like they're good together. yeah you like, picked a good one yeah, yeah you picked a good i was one. like thank you thank you <laughs> yeah yeah you're right i was definitely in that camp of being very cynical that they're not actually gonna say and like this i mean i really like how they talked about their relationship in this episode but even that is not like explicit oh, like there are no absolutely. romantic relationship um yeah. or that they're even married or something like that I, I don't even know if Flix and orca would say that they're married like they might not actually be married <laughs> mm-hmm. um they might just be in like a forever relationship but never put a ring on it <laughs> i can see that. yeah um so but yeah I, I i really liked it i was definitely with you being cynical about it because they're definitely they've always been written as in a romantic relationship and I just kind of thought that that was all it was ever going to be, unfortunately, that we are just supposed right. to kind like, of headcanon. Like Zem and Callus. Yeah. Also. Yeah, that it's assumed or something like that. And we don't have to say it, but you all know. And it's like, no, you, you need to say you it. You kind of have to say it. <laughs> you need to say <laughs> you it. You kind of have to say it. Yeah, you need to say it. And so this was definitely um, a very welcome surprise. And I hope that we get to talk about it even more. Um, yeah, because I think they just scratched the surface here with yeah, that. exactly. I think that with the comment in the in season one where it was like, oh, we have to go see your mother. And I can't remember if Orca said mother-in-law. I just don't remember. I feel like someone said mother-in-law. But I could be completely wrong about that. And I remember being like, ugh, like, I love these gay uncles. They're amazing. But I, I feel like <laughs> this was really the confirmation that we needed. On and screen. we on screen like we need it we needed more we need more let's be honest we need more we need them holding hands we need everything right Mm -hmm. but even just like it is to me fully out there that they are a couple and they will do anything for each other obviously when orca like goes crazy and is like like you mentioned you will give him yeah (laughs) so great i was like wow power move (laughs) so yeah i'm i'm i just i'm pleasantly surprised yeah. And I think that we, we've had people be like, why didn't you talk about it so far? And I was like, well, I just feel like we have to wait until it actually comes true on screen. And here it is coming true on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't – you can say whatever you want in an interview, but until it's 
actually on the screen. And and I, I definitely – like, it is meaningful to have people discuss it in interviews and, like, yes, like, I think it was Bobby Moynihan and it's, like, yes, Bobby Moynihan plays it as they're in a relationship and so – Like, we as the audience are not wrong in inferring that from the characters from what we saw in season one. And that is meaningful. But it's so much more meaningful to have it actually being played out and discussed by characters in universe in canon. Absolutely. Sometimes, sometimes, like, sometimes you need that very explicitly stated. Like, that is important and that is necessary. And that is what representation is about. (sighs) Anything else in terms of characters that we could talk about in this episode? I don't think so. I feel like we definitely sped through this episode, um, but we really did enjoy it a whole lot. Um, and it was just, it was a breath of fresh air when we've kind of been in space. Yeah, it really was. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I was surprised how much I liked this episode, as I said in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it was a really enjoyable watch. Yeah, I think this would definitely be one that I would go back and watch again because yeah. it is so easy to watch and it's really funny too. And yeah, I had a really good time with it. Yeah, I I really want Bobby Moynihan to actually have more screen time in Resistance because I think he's so funny. His character is just kind of funny looking and funny, you know, <laughs> and I like the banter. But like, I thought that it was so interesting that they paired Orca with Tora. Yeah. Which is like a pairing that I didn't expect. And I liked the way that she pumped him up. I thought it was really funny. And I, I know we just talked about that. But, you know, it is really interesting that that's how they kind of split it off. Yeah. Um, and uh, that pairing, like even I want to see more of these two interacting with like our Colossus. Like I still don't know how, what grouping to call them. Our <laughs> Colossus heroes, I suppose. Our Colossus crew. Our Colossus crew. You know what? That's it. The crew. The crew. Let's just say the crew. The crew. The call crew. <laughs> yeah. The call crew. <laughs> or like, you know what? I want more Flix and Orca with Niku. Like, I think that that would even be funny, too. And I think we've seen that yeah, before. Maybe. I can't really remember, but need more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Flix and Orca are just such great characters in general that they're like, they're, they're, they're always bantering. So whoever they banter with is going to be enjoyable and funny. So give me any and all of it. I'll take it. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> actually, I would love to see them banter with Sonara. That would be really fun. Actually. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. That would be a you good call- time. That's yes, totally. <laughs> Okay, well, I think that is going to wrap up this week's Resistance episode. Uh, We've read the description for next week's episode, so strap in because that looks like it's definitely going to be a ride. Very much looking forward to that. But you know where to find us. We are on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod. We're also on our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. You can find us on pretty much every social media platform. We have our website, SkyTalkers.com. We also have a Facebook and Instagram page if you're interested in that. And if you haven't yet, please go leave us a review on iTunes. It makes us really happy and helps other people find the show. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can also head on over to our Patreon and check out some of our stuff there. 
Yes, absolutely. And I want to say a huge thank you to our amazing patrons. Joey, Jason, Kathy Gee, Jenna, Jessica, Mike, Thomas, Bridget, Shelbo, James, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Bradley, Edith, Jacqueline, Rachel, Lady Vader, John, Kevin, Josh, Ian, Raz, Lakshana, Candice, Ewan, Tom, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Jalia, Matthew, Captain Britton, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, I, Rebel, Kimberly, Vundercast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Santara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararoo, Patrick, James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Das, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Amy, Jared, Claire, Brad, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.